Buenos dias, bonjour, uh, good morning, welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe. Um, we'd like to thank the radio, uh, Radio UCCS, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, uh, for sponsoring this program and also the various departments, academic departments of the University of Colorado, uh, for their support of our program. Special thanks to Marge Mystery as well. She is not able to be with us today, uh, and but we will hope to see her in a couple of weeks. Um, today is Thursday, July 14th, a special day in France, and it's appropriate that we have with us today as our guest, uh, a very, very famous uh, writer of, of French and Spanish materials, um, and who also uh, is probably one of the most creative uh, people in, in the world language profession, and that happens to be Sue Fenton. And Sue is going to be with us from Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and Sue um, also has her own uh, publishing company called Madame Fifi Publications, and she's going to tell us a lot about um, what uh, she likes about languages and all kinds of different topics uh, to go with our World Language Cafe idea. And it's good today because we're having a French teacher and writer, and we're not having just uh, Spanish writers and people all the time. So we're excited about having someone in French. Um, and um, I w without further ado, I would like to present to you uh, Sue Fenton, and as said, Sue uh, lives in Hartford, Connecticut. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Tom, and good morning, everyone. Um, I, I, my first uh, question I wanted to ask you today, and I have some questions and different topics that we'll be talking about, is how did you get interested in, in language learning and language teaching? Um, did it start when you were really young, or were you older when you got interested in language study? Um, um. First, I would like to mention I also do Spanish materials as well, so we also have that contingent taken care of today, too, and I have things for all languages. So, anyway. Um, oh, I, 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 started... I, excuse me. I did mention Spanish, I think. Oh, uh, good. Okay. I did. Oh, yes. I know. And <laughs> I don't I, want I, our no, 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 no. And I know you do wonderful, wonderful Spanish materials. As well. and, and, okay. and you do wonderful Spanish. And I did mention that, I think, in my intro. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. Okay, uh, go ahead, So I'm sorry. All right. I started in my first French class in eighth grade, a full-fledged French one class, and I, I got an A every term. I loved it to death. I memorized those dialogues, and it was very intriguing. I continued on with my same teacher, which was amazing, all five years. I took up to French five as a senior where we wrote 20-page short stories. I also had the wonderful privilege of, of going with my French teacher, Madame Wallace, to, uh, to Europe for seven weeks. Um, that was just before French Five, and it opened my eyes to just so many wonderful things. Um, I just had an affinity for languages, and I just kept up with it through college. I didn't declare my major until junior year. I'm a Gemini. What can I say? I have many interests. But the language is always there. Uh, now, so where did you study in college? I went to, uh, being from Massachusetts, actually, um, where my family is, I went to Boston University. They had a wonderful College of Liberal Arts French program there where I actually learned how to analyze. I had this wonderful professor, Professor Costis, who taught me to take a small paragraph and to write three pages on it. And I just was oh, so thankful to him. He had me, gave me my, gave me my eyes to see and uh, to see um, lots of things I never saw in life. And uh, I also went on to get, I took Spanish courses as well and art history, um, and I got my Spanish certification through BU. Then I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee for some years. There I went to Tennessee State University and got my master's in education in curriculum and instruction. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it yet, but I just had the foresight to know that something might be coming. 
So I got that degree, and I was very happy. I taught French one and Spanish one at my at the middle school and then the high school in the system where I actually went to school myself in Rentham, Massachusetts. But then when I moved to Nashville, I ended up teaching and at a wonderful magnet school for sciences and engineering called Martin Luther King Magnet. And there I was the French department. I taught French one to four AP. Uh, for 12 marvelous years, and um, uh, other, another, uh, another background, I spent many summers living in Paris and traveling all over, including to Spain, uh, Czech Republic, uh, uh, Netherlands, all around. And um, one summer, the, the National Alliance Française of Washington, D.C., honored me with a scholarship to study for a month at the Alliance headquarters in Paris. And that um, that really gave me some ideas of, I'll mention, we'll be mentioning this later on, but these, this experience of living there summers um, made me want to do that same kind of thing for my students, and we'll talk about that later. So did, um, I, I'm just guessing, I suppose, Paris would rank high in your list as one of your favorite cities, is that right? Uh, well, yes, it's one of my most, uh, most most familiar to me than uh-huh. other cities because I've been there so many times and I have many friends there and go back for weddings. In fact, there was a wonderful mix of France and Mexico because the daughter of some dear, dear friends who have a little shop next to Notre Dame at number 19, um, the daughter went to Mexico for a year internship, met a wonderful young man. Who, and they went back to Paris. He became a chef. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. And they went back to Mexico and opened up the French, the, the La Révolution Française in, in Hermosillo, Sonora. And now they're back in, in Paris, and they have not one now, but two wonderful Mexican restaurants. So it's this, I just love this idea of connections of languages and people from different countries meeting. So I have dear friends in Paris. Yes, but I also... Um, uh, I love travel anywhere. There are many, many lovely places to visit on, on the planet. Oh, absolutely. And now, would you, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your company, uh, Madame Fifi Publications? Um, what type of materials do you, do you write and how they could order the materials and in uh, your website, etc. And and some of the workshop things that you do because you do an incredible amount of things, uh, wonderful things for language teachers and students. So could you give us some detail on that? Thank you so much. You're so sweet, Tom. Well, it's well, all true. So, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I started in 1999 with a silly little book called The Wit of Madame Fifi. And it was it was puns in English but with twists of French. Uh, sort of honoring and you know French the the beauty of the French language and helping students with little mnemonic devices. I really believe that the joke, the pun, the sillier the better, um, really helps students to make connections with vocabulary. And I think every teacher should ask every student to write five, three to five jokes on every chapter's vocabulary. So it makes it more personalized. But anyway, I wrote this book and I presented it to uh, teachers' discovery way back then, and. Um, it was amazing to me, my first thing, the first thing I wrote, was actually mentioned on the front cover of the 1999 Fall French Teacher's Discovery Catalog. And, I, of course, I had to have a company to back that up, so I decided it would be Madame Fifi. I also was asked to present it. Uh, the Tennessee Foreign Language Conference, my first time, first presentation ever, um, and I chose speaking. And from that, I realized um, I probably should put this all together into something to share. I also had a friend on the outskirts of Nashville who once said to me, I could still see her and see her frustration and her need for help. She said, Sue, how come your students are so fluent? How can you help teachers like me? We're not as creative. We don't know how to do it. And that kind of really, all those things kind of gelled. And I decided that I was going to start a company. And because there were not many speaking materials and I was doing AP and having to hunt here and hunt there, 
I thought we needed, I needed to put down some ideas that I was coming up with that were just basic ways to get people to talk, whether it's individuals doing little presentations or pairs, which I think is the main, the mainstay of any classroom, is pairs yeah. that maximizes speaking. So that's kind of how everything started. Now, and I oh yeah. so this, this idea of speaking, I, I'm going to stay on that for a minute. Uh, because in many classrooms, it's probably one of the most difficult things for teachers to, to confront and teach, and, and that is how to create these uh, creative ideas or, or, or interactive pairs and groups, etc., cetera, uh, for speaking. Um, doesn't go on a lot in some classes, right? I, t- people tell me they have a hard time doing that, and, and sometimes we end up, I think, with this... Um, kind of a worksheet mentality for the classroom sometimes or with the computer as well now just throw the student onto the computer and uh, and we get into this click to oblivion idea and hopefully we won't forget about the speaking um do you have any observation on that is would, would you agree with that tom i do agree with what you said it's very frustrating to feel that in this day and age, we we tend to stick with that hundred-year-old model of education that you know we developed in America when we went from agrarian society to the industrial uh, age. We needed to create folks who were capable to work in factories, and that whole mentality of the reading and the math. Um, and measuring and the testing which goes on today, you know, this all continues. And I'm afraid that, that textbooks and standardized testing, I mean, there's, a, there's some value. But we cannot forget the person, the personality, the, the, the influence of, of you know, letting the, letting the personality and the creativity of each person relate to the subject as well and have more uh, inquiry-based learning and not so much what I call bubble-in generation, where it's just, you know, every, every bubble-in sheet they're, they're doing. Um, and so I do realize that, that people, like my friend, you know, said to me, I do realize that this is what happens. And the thing is that, yes, speaking is difficult. You nailed it. I think that speaking, one reason that speaking is the most seemed that appears to be the most difficult skill is that it's the least practiced and students feel like they're on stage and they don't know their lines and I felt that way myself I saw a textbook now I look at a textbook sometimes and they're wonderful and I, I laud people who spend years of their lives organizing you know it's sequentially it's, it's impressive but I I I wonder, sometimes we dissect language so much that we have all these little boxes and little rules, and we intimidate students. I was intimidated as a student. After five years, I hardly spoke French. It wasn't until my June, my first year of college that my professor said, Mademoiselle, you, vous avez de bonnes choses à dire, il faut parler. You know, you say great, you have great things on your papers, but you have to speak. So my, my point is that, um, my point is that we, um, we have to allow them to, to, to speak and we have to model the behavior. The teachers, if the teachers model the behavior which is speaking, then the students will. And also, um, as I was saying that, you know, students are intimidated because they have to put words and things back together. I wholeheartedly promote the idea of teaching more through travel phrase books sometimes because you always get a whole sentence first and then you're giving re- give replacements when you teach through songs when you teach through proverbs and you teach through quotations and scripts segments of movies the students learn these or poetry or whatever the st- and and you have students do imitative speaking i call it where they take the lines and they make their own versions then you're starting with something that number 1 they immediately can say it and it's a whole thought second they can then make substitutions and it's a lot less intimidating than if they have to start with 
simple sentence words putting them together without those patterns that's what i'm saying is the patterns we have to establish more patterns and edge patterns in their minds so speaking is more calm it's more second nature yeah and that only comes from lots of practice in class yeah one of the things that um that I always try to stress to, to the teachers and the students is that when you're speaking, um, it's um, you have to start from somewhere. And so, it, be it like you said, a pattern, a, a dialogue or whatever, where the students get familiar with it and, and try to, I, I hate to use memorize, but say as many lines as they can. But then they have the opportunity after that to spin off and create their own version, right? Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a creative endeavor of huge mm-hmm. proportions. So there has to be a, 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 some way to do that. But I'm back to my speaking uh, question again. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about um, uh, this idea of oral testing? Uh, the, the textbooks, I, I don't recall any textbooks. Maybe they have this very moment. I don't think so. But uh, there's very little information given on having oral tests after each unit or each chapter, uh, or let's give a 100-point oral test as well as a written test. Um, What's your thought on that? Well, um, first of all, I was um, lost. Within the last year or so, I started looking again at the current texts, and like I say, they're they're wonderful. They're putting more photos. They're making students, um, you know, they're more. They are getting more conversational. I think we have a long way to go. But there's, but the what I think I was so discouraged about was all I could find for speaking activities were a couple token things at the end of a chapter, and here's what they were like. They were. Um, a new student from the Dominican Republic has come to your school. Have a conversation about whatever. You're at the mall and you see somebody, blah, blah, blah. Or the student council is going to have a, you know, And I thought, I, I see these things and I get so frustrated because you know what? Tom, they should be speaking. They should be going beyond the school walls. We should be taking them to the real world. We should take them beyond. We should take them to a street in Paris, a street in Madrid, where they're asking instructions. And you know what? We get the smart board. You throw a picture up there of a city street. And there they are. If you, if we keep them, it's the same thing with teaching the pencils and pens and paper and the classroom directions at the beginning of the year. I can't do that. I, I, I just, I can't do that. I immediately say we're moving. Well, I'll get to this a little bit later. But I like to put them in the real world, and that's what we do. And we do pencils later. But every, all these things, what do they do? Despite the fact that we have this technology that takes us anywhere in the world, we are sticking our kids, even as within a year ago of the new text, we are still keeping our students right here in our school to do our activities. Plus, they give activities where here's A, tell the person this, B, answer this. We're telling them what to say. It's extremely, extremely frustrating. Um, I have to mention that um, I I was doing one of those uh, tests um, some years back, early 90s, I was giving the evaluation for French 1 credit to this 8th grade student. And there were 10 questions. They were disparate questions. They had nothing to do with each other. Totally unconversational, which I didn't like to begin with. But anyway, I got to number 5, and it was, um, Now, this student named DDA could have answered like anyone else. He could have just made up something. You know, les He could have said, um... Made up the time. He could have used the real time to make it authentic. But you know what he said to me that knocked me off my chair? He said, Je n'ai pas de montre. He said, I don't know. I don't have a watch. <laughs> that turned everything for per- Tom. Profound. I, wasn't that something? You can see the, the, the power of that. Stick. I realized from that day, language teaching to me went switched from rote memorization of dialogues to Small increments 
where the students expand and they ping pong back and forth on one and one idea at a time and practice it in a context that's from real life. And you know, when I started doing that and I started doing these chapter review paired conversations where I gave them some, some situation, uh, the students in my classes came alive. You know, I had guilt feelings that I was, it was another day, another set of endings. I was a book page turner, you know, and all of a sudden I started with a simple first thing I ever did was this paired conversation thing. And all of a sudden the students are getting, having fun. They're getting, putting themselves in the situations. I did not call them skits. That's a horrible word. It conjures up all kinds of awful, awkward language that students are digging in dictionaries to find. I just call them, you know, chapter review conversations. And, and it, it, it just totally changes the whole dynamic. And it makes the students, we have to personalize language. We have to make language, uh, we have to give students enough to have them express what they want to say. Right. And that motivates, and that's why I gave hundreds of handouts with not 15 adjectives from Chapter 15 and stick with that. I gave them 150 adjectives and choices, and that developed into my chat boosters, and they kept them from year to year as they went along, and I'm sure they took them to college. So that's that's what it's about, small increments. It is, and it's every day, practicing every day. right? But it's also about the final product, and, and that is that... Uh, sometimes I think we need to really, really give importance in the textbooks and in the curriculums and that we have to have an outcome that measures somewhat how students can communicate in the language orally, verbally. Absolutely. And not just be pencil testers all the time and, and not speak. And the same thing I would say holds true that when they go to college, there should be heavy, heavy uh, uh, credence, uh, heavy credit given to students who can speak the language and communicate what really well versus those that are just grammarians and uh, that that's how they uh, get their credit. Uh, and unfortunately, in the United States at this point, it's probably a mixed bag at best as to how that we're, we're getting this done in the profession. So it's um, something that really we, we, I think we need to really pay attention to in the profession that we don't get so um, bogged down in the textbooks and all the all the extra things given in the textbook, all the supplemental things in the textbook, and we forget about the the real purpose of language learning, which is oral communication above all else. Uh, because, uh, as you mentioned, when you went to Paris for seven weeks, how you're, you you had a totally different view, and I think that happens with a lot of students once they get to the country. So, um, it very important. I'm going to go to this question again because. Uh, uh, yes, I have something to say. Share too. <laughs> okay, uh, about what we just said, or no? about the evaluation. Oh, yes. oh, okay, go ahead. Here's a little solution. Um, like I said, that first convert, that evaluation I gave the student was the typical ten sentences, like they had nothing. Words, the sentences were really not consecutive or anything. It wasn't like a conversation. What I started to do was I started to give my oral um, evalu- assessments at a little cafe table outside my door. Uh, I had a little, ta- actually, cafe table. We imagined that there was a, a waiter, and we both ordered our beverages. And then I, we had a conversation. I made it as a conversation, and the conversation, we could feel it. It was more real, and it and it required, you know, it had elements uh, that I was trying to test in it. So I was able to. Um, and what I did to prepare students for that is very important. Is what I do a lot of my workshops on. The mainstay, the paired conversation. For everything I taught, I had I I would turn and have this. You know, if I had to write, if I did something on the board, I turned and instead of writing, instead of exercises, which was that was for homework, I turned and had my students say what I just presented, and I get I developed a little conversation situation, and my mantra that taught me, I taught myself how to do this better and better, was to ask myself every time I looked at demonstrative adjectives in a box, how can I get my students to say these in a real-life 
you know, situation, commercial, social situation. How can I get them to say this? And I would start to think, well, you're, where do they do indirect object pronouns? Where do they say them right now? Well, they're saying them when they're shopping with their friends. Does this look good on me? Does this dress look good on me? You know, so there's a use of the object pronoun. So that's how you create a situation. And you have students saying things back and forth. And I would have, you know, they, you can, I, I mean, I talk about this in my workshop, lessons dripping with the speaking, that for every aspect of the typical lesson, you can turn it into speaking. Even if you do a reading comprehension for five minutes, then you turn it into some speaking thing after. Everything can be speaking. You can even have grammar hors d'oeuvres where before the students even te- you even teach anything, they're already saying it for a few days and, before you yeah. say, you know, do it. And you've, you've set the background. You've set that the kids are relaxed. They're able to do this. Because, oh, yes. And you're like fun. a cheer. I, I've seen you in, in action, but you're like a cheerleader, you know, and, <laughs> and you, you back the kids. You support the kids. You encourage them to make mistakes so they're going to get better. And those are all things I know you do really, really well. Um, but I wanted you to tell us about your company and some of the materials you're doing, because I know you do a tremendous amount of materials and how the listeners could order those again. Could we go over that? And you could talk about your website, et cetera, in the workshops. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then um, I would like to mention also um, virtual residence language. Um, and just as a PS um, about the paired speaking, you do that so many times a period. You do it a lot. And a lot of the week goes by where they don't get evaluated because you've got to let them fly without being intimidated yes, and afraid. Yes. It's like a softer practice every day, I say. And then every once in a while, we'll evaluate and I'll let you know I'm going to evaluate today. But they're already feeling comfortable, so it's not hard when you do go around and, and evaluate. Um, in terms of the company, yes. Um, I I have uh, my bestseller, the first book that I wrote was over 1,000 conversation starters for any language and it basically gives some uh, the first 30, 40 pages, sets up how to create a you have to have a you have to set up a a speaking-based classroom, you know, a, cre- a communicative kind of classroom. So there are lots of things you can do, starting with the door. You know, you just have, you even do something on the door, so when students go through that door, whether you set it up like a cafe door or airport or um, they walk under a, a pyramid or whatever, you know, they walk in and it's like the immersion zone. They go, they're going into a place. So there are all kinds of things you can do in a classroom. And this book has been a bestseller and school districts have ordered it for all their teachers in the past and it's still going strong um the sequel to that is power talk which is goes beyond that oh conversation starters is more um you know it's set up the classroom and then there are 1400 ways to put people two people together and their actual role plays explains how to do the role plays I was talking about, how to the, what the procedure is, how to monitor, how you can assess. And then there are all kinds of examples, you know, and you always start with you because you want one person in a role play always to be himself or herself to make it important to them. Um, and then the other person can be a shopkeeper or whatever. Um, another book I mentioned briefly was the French Chaboosters. And I'm very excited to mention that as we speak, I am, after many, many Spanish teachers have asked me, I am working on a Spanish Chaboosters. And it's like all those supplementary sheets packed with language that the teachers don't always have time to put together. Um, and you can give them sheets and work with them all kinds of ways. Um, also, I have um, a, a, I have a couple of books called Pooch Pals. It's the idea of having a heritage speaker mascot in the classroom that can turn out to be the most adorable, fun, hilarious, motivating thing. It's as simple as having a stuffed animal that you have in a you know that that's a heritage speaker only. The students have have to talk to it in the language this they can use it up incorporate the, the the mascot in their skits they can speak lip sync for the the mascot you know who does speeches i mean it's a lot of fun and you can if someone's out out of class one day uh didn't take the test well you can put the mascot in the seat and give them a pencil or pen and the next day it either the mascot either gets a hundred and shows everybody up or doesn't do very well and says, well, I copied off a Jacques, you know, just for fun. I mean, there are so many fun pranks 
that it can inspire all sorts of fun things for any age. I mean, you can, it can be Jean-Paul Sartre, Pablo Neruda, you know, but it's really fun because it's a presence in the class. Um, the, um, there, um, also I have, Oh, I have like 25 things. I have uh, cue cards for paired speaking. There are cards made up already that, that students like a Serena Star or Super Cue Cards has possibility of 2,400 questions. And the students' pairs have one card. Each person asks the question. It's over. 30 seconds. You can imagine after every day of a term, you know, how much more they're, they're asking. Uh, they're getting to ask each other. I have uh, Paris Trivia Palooza, which is 1,700 questions based on Paris. And you can take five at a time, even for beginners, five at a time, work with the questions. And those, are, again, are the sentence patterns that they learn by practicing them. And they learn a lot about Paris and 40 different topics, including candy and you know all kinds of fun things. Because I have a whole bunch of fun in me, and my products have an awful lot of humor. Uh, and creative ideas. My workshops I've been doing um, for many years now. I've done them for schools, districts, organizations uh, from South Carolina to California. Um, my main one is Lessons Dripping with Speaking. Um, uh, also, universities have had me as well. Um, my other one is Virtual Residence Language. Would I be able to talk to that? Talk to do people talk to you about that for a moment, what well, my method is? Can, can, uh, we're going to get to that in a minute because I'd, okay, like, sure. I'd like to spend quite a bit of time on that. But I'm going to throw in a question here. Yeah. Um, sure. When you talk about 1,400 ideas, and I know you and I talk about this quite a bit uh, in the writing game, and, and, and we, we've talked about this creativity uh, concept so that some of the things you do, obviously, you, you have, your creativity is is, is enormous. Uh, what do, what do you think creativity is, and uh, do you think that can be taught, or do you think, uh, let's say the students use your materials? I would think using your materials, they would become very creative. Uh, and the, and I guess that's my 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 point or question is. Uh, how do you see that with your materials and students? Can we actually help students become more creative in what we're doing in the classroom? Because I think that's another hugely important topic, you know, that we need to really address sometimes, and especially in the classroom. How can we make this encounter we have with students every day an extremely creative uh, event? Um, how would you answer that? I firmly believe that we have to create not only an environment where risk-taking is, you know, students feel very comfortable and it's fun and it's playful. I've even had to jump up and down, stop, 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 when students are, they're both architects designing a home and a mansion in Provence for Mr. Boucou d'Argent, you know. It's, it's, um, it's so fun to watch them be creative and take a creative idea. And I think that our classroom has to be full of play. Our classroom has to be full of as much, we have to, we have to fight, we have so many strikes against us with four walls. And being at desks, you know, we, the more that we bring real life situations into the classroom, the more fun it is, the more meaningful it is for students. Um, for example, simulations. I always did simulations. I would have, for example, a hotel lobby. In, in the classroom when students would be coming up. Uh, you know, first I had a volunteer come up and I was the receptionist and we would set up their reservations and all. It was simple, even level one, simple little, little, you know, it's pretty obvious. When you, when you take a situation into a, uh, a, um, a linguistic situation into a physical reality that you are there, and you are simulating it with props and everything, it, the whole context helps you understand better, of course. So I simulated, you know, hotel lobby, the supermarket where I'd get the market. I would bring vegetables from, from the supermarket before uh-huh. school. I'd go to the market and have a, and would keep it as long as it didn't, you know, it stayed fresh. But um, the kids could, you know, hold a garden and open the garlic and smell the garlic. We have to bring the senses in, evoke the senses, because this all stimulates their experience and their connections, and all of that is is enriching the learning, uh, as opposed to just reading an exercise off of a page of a book. There's just no comparison here. 
I've had a beach in the classroom where the students brought in air mattresses and beach balls and plastic pails, um, little coolers with beverages, hats, sunglasses, um, tropical shirts, no bathing suits, but um, uh, aside from that, you know, we set up the room with some palm trees. Um, I had some TVs going showing surf, you know, the French Riviera. Um, and we conducted our class at the beach, you know, moved the desks away, and, and it was phenomenal. I think I smelled suntan lotion. But, <laughs> so, um, so the beauty of what you do and what you're proposing that the teachers do is, is to bring life into the classroom, real life, right? Authentic yes. life. And, and that, that is totally, totally a wonderful concept uh, to, to, for the teachers to, to, to bring to the classroom. The actual life experience, yes. Uh, I wanted to get to a question. I know that you've created, developed, and trademarked a method for teaching world languages that is becoming more well-known and used uh, around the country. Can you tell the listeners about that? Well, thank you. Um, I would love to. The method um, is called Virtual Residence Language, which I refer to as VRL. And I started this in my classroom. Um, As I mentioned, I spent a lot of summers in Paris, and I just would stand in the middle of Paris and say, how can I bring this to my students? I want them to feel this. You know, I know I cannot. The reality is I cannot bring them all here. So what can I do? And, you know, despite any method, direct method, translation method, any methods that have gone by, um, audio, lingual method, you know, whatever, the bottom line of language, it, the best the best method would be to live there. But if you can't live there, then there's a plan B. And it's very obvious, and I'm surprised that no one has talked about this before over the decades. Simulate that you live there. I simulated that my students lived in Paris. They, We found addresses, and this is before smart boards. We found addresses. Um, they got picked an address. Then we had authentic phone numbers. Um, and th- then all of the material in the book, I had the same curriculum to follow, but I did it all through, you know, like on location. It was on location. When you take your students to Berlin, to Madrid, to Tokyo, to Shanghai, to Rome, the you can conduct your entire class and location, and you have contexts for teaching everything. Now when you look at your indirect object pronouns, you say to yourself, where do people say these in the city? In what context are they being used? And you will have these grammar glasses on, and you will look around, look at a city. Once you start doing this, you will see the grammar all over the city. And now you have unlimited contexts, Backdrops with the smart board. I mean, this was what I was dreaming of 10 years ago, 15 (laughs) years ago. This was my ultimate that I could take them there. We can, and we cannot let that, we cannot just let that smart board be sitting there to throw up the agenda for the day, you know, and to throw up a sheet of the homework sheet. We have got to go online. We have got to find backdrops for all the photos, for all the conversations. I'm sorry. I mean, I've even, when I do workshops, I show photos I found of like at the top of the Ferris wheel in the Tuileries Gardens in Paris. You and your friend are at the top, and there's a photo. You're sitting at the top, and you're looking out. A wonderful perspective. And you're having a conversation on a little level one thing. There is. Voila. Notre Dame. Voila. Sacré cœur. You know, and you're having this, you know, you're top of the pyramid. I show a photo I took at the top of Chichen Itza. Where I was at the top, and the people are coming up the steep, steep slope, but you no know, down below. And the conversation is it can be as, as easy as this level one concept. You and your partner, you and your friend, are got to the top, and you're looking out over out of the, over the Yucatan, and you're discussing what are we going to do this afternoon. So they're using vamos a with little verbs, and they've had maybe there's a resource, or maybe not, maybe it's review, but a simple conversation that has a, some, an amazing sensational reality and backdrop. Yeah, and, and that's another wonderful thing uh, in your materials, the idea of the, the simplicity and uh, that uh, many times the simple things are the best things when we teach and, uh, and not to get um, too carried away with things, but the, the practicality of what you do, and I know that your materials are full of practical ideas. Uh, what if the teachers wanted to order the materials on, from your website? What is that? address the website address 
My my website is um, www.madamefifi.com. And as I said, I do have, you know, speaking materials that can be applied for all languages. I do have French materials for speaking and other things as well as I'm working more and more on Spanish, the Spanish chat boosters. Um, there's a page about virtual residence. There's a, there are resources. This is a pro- work in progress. I have revamped it over the last six months and it offers, um, it's offering more and more to teachers. Uh, I find that my visits are really going off the charts now and I'm, coming going to be following through with more um, exciting resources and ideas as well as a download store where there'll be some units and things maybe that quick AP sheet on you know certain topic because I have so many materials that I can share from the classroom but also there'll be some creative kinds of things that you wouldn't find everywhere um, so those are those are coming I think once I get the chat boosters finished I'll be working on that and I do have um, a brand new workshop I'm working with this summer called let's get re-energized and it's a potpourri of some of, 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 of different different topics that I usually have all day workshops on because someone might want to bring me in and not just have me talk about one thing. So I thought a potpourri would be wonderful. And I also talk about what can we do to get our passion back, to get our fire back? Does our course need a makeover or are we, you know, are we the teacher that we had? I think that's a really important thing to think about. That could be a good thing. Maybe it's not a good thing. Are we the best teacher that we can? That are, do we have? Have we found the teacher in us? Really, have? Are we just following patterns that were set for us by, by education and by our own teachers? Or well, you know, is there yes. a teacher in us that's yes. wanting to explode and we want to have our own personality? And, 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 and that's that's a huge uh, t- uh, idea there. And that that idea being that. That teaching is a as an ongoing uh, learning experience forever, and that we never, yeah. never are perfect teachers and far from it, and we always have to be looking for new ideas. And uh, probably in education, something that needs to really be stressed a lot, and that is this idea of, of learning never stops and teaching never. The learning about teaching never stops, and because uh, I know sometimes people, and, and I've, I've probably been guilty of this, but the longer you teach. You think sometimes you know a lot, but sometimes you know little compared to all that we could know. And as you've mentioned about the, the virtual visits to, to Paris, Madrid, whatever, uh, how many things there are involved in a teaching uh, game that are that it's, it's a complicated thing. It isn't so easy to do it right. Um, the um, uh, may I mention well, one more thing about virtual residence. Yes, sure. Um, virtual residence is is living there for the year. Um, I was very, I got very disenchanted with the idea of these two-week vacations that we see in, and sometimes in, in books um, that we're planning. And, you know, we have a two-week unit in Paris or whatever. But to me, that doesn't send the best, the best message. The best message is that language is is all around us all the time. If we're teaching 8th or ninth graders, they can't even think of going to Europe, probably, except for a little trip with a teacher, you know, maybe till after college or whatever. But, um, but you know, people live other places. I think that we need to plant a seed for a bigger, a bigger sunflower, you know, that the people actually work abroad, they do uh, study abroad, they, they meet people, they meet friends. They communicate with their whole lives. I've had stu- I had students ex- student exchanges going on in my classroom where I had families exchanging and students going back and forth every summer. It was amazing. Uh-huh. But but I think that the two week vacation you know just sends a signal to students that maybe you know well for me I don't want my three years of, of, of French courses to be only seen in the eyes of the students well, as as learning right. some travel phrases to order a coat right. and hamburger. And, and what you what you're dealing with the virtual reality uh, the virtual experiences you're saying that this is where it's at. This is where the action is in language. And sometimes with textbooks and testing and everything else, 
the teachers and students, sometimes we lose sight of that, uh, that there are countries where the language is spoken and we need to really be focusing there more than we do. Uh, so I think that's a wonderful thing you're doing with the, the you, virtual John. idea. Just fascinating. Uh, now I'm going to pass to another question about world language enrollments. And we know in the profession now that Spanish has the, the, the most students and French and German uh, have been struggling somewhat in uh, Chinese, Japanese, and Arabic. Are, there's some interest uh, brewing and in, in some decent interest there. But what, what do we need to do to get um, the interest revived in these two great languages, the French and German? Uh, maybe we could offer Italian, Portuguese, and some more languages. What, what's missing in this um, education mix that we need to fix? First of all, I would like to mention that for decades, we've been teaching to captive audiences. We've had students and we've had our jobs by virtue of language requirements. And, you know, maybe we all did our best all along the way. Maybe we got a little too complacent and got into some habits and didn't realize the, the enormity of what was facing us. Um, I think that the bottom line to enroll, to increasing enrollments in any subject is to have motivated students. When we give our max to motivating and making it real, those students will become the primary best, most amazing PR that we could ever have. I had a teacher from Westchester County write to me and say, Sue, this mother wrote to me, her daughter never talks about school. Well, she went home one day and said, I'm so excited we're living in Madrid this year at school, Spanish class. And she said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. I had a teacher way back before I had taken what I'd created and developed it further into a book. By the way, the book for virtual residents is called Move Your Students to a World City. It's for all the languages. It's the basic primary how to do it with tons of ideas. Um, um, and it, I had only been talking about it a little bit at a workshop, a speaking workshop, and a teacher in Wisconsin came up to me in a hallway in a conference and said, can I talk to you? I've got to tell you, the parents, uh, we've been using the simulations, you know, living there in Madrid. And she said, our students are so fluent. Because, see, that's a primary thing about virtual residence is that you speak all over. And so she said, our students are getting so fluent. The parents are saying, more, more. We love this. You know, this is what we want to generate. If we can have a wonderful program in German, a wonderful program in French, students will tell their friends. If they're happy, they'll tell their friends, and it'll take time. But we can slowly build up programs with students who want to be there, not because they have to be there. I would love to be still, still around in an age where we don't have to have a requirement for language, that students want to do it for the right reasons. I don't know that all the things that we tell them about the rationales, that the language is spoken on so many continents, and that this country has the most, you know, the, the greatest amount of exports, and all, they don't really, you know, it helps your SAT scores. That doesn't always translate to an eighth, eighth or ninth grader. What translates to them is, you know, the two things of motivation are, the most important things that motivation boils down to, one, personal, it's, it's seen as having value. Something is seen as how you having value, and two, it satisfies your personal needs. Look at, you know, subject pronouns. Does that, what can, we have to make that be important to, those to be important to students. You know, we have to give the context in the real world. Um, that, that terrifies me. So, they have to see that it has a yeah. value and it has to personally satisfy their needs. So, so, right. So the motivational factor, motivating the students and making it real for them, as you've indicated earlier. That's a start. And it's a big start. And uh, getting numbers back. Yes. And in, in the motivation, making the students feel like, uh, they indeed are in a real world of language learning, not just subject pronouns or whatever, uh, indirect object pronouns, etc. Um, what about this, um, um, the classroom teacher today? Um, 
what do you think that are, are, are the teachers, do they need to improve or do you feel like they're where they should be or what should they do to improve or can they improve or, or is there, is there room to improve? I think that there's an awful lot of wonderful teaching going on in our country. And I think there are a lot of, from websites I visit, there are teachers going online, setting up wonderful web pages. Um, we're, you know, uh, sometimes I wish to put a lot more links for things for students to do in the target language. You know, we don't want to send them to websites created by universities in America. We want to t- send them to target language, you know, heritage speaker websites. But I see a lot of, you know, really exciting things going on. I do feel that there are some of some teachers who are still caught up in that paradigm um, of the, the former, you know, the, the typical education system of the rote memorization and testing. And, you know, I think that, um, I think that could always improve. I think that we need to teach not only out of the box, but out of the text and put our own ideas and make things come alive. It's also, I think that teachers, I think that, um, the bottom line in terms of speaking, which, as we said earlier, you know, is the most difficult. But if the student, we need to teach students to climb to the top of Mount Everest. Um, we cannot teach them only foothills because they, they're not going to be able to take a workbook to, to Madrid to order their lunch. Um, so I think if we go for the highest, then everything is gravy after that. It's going to be very, you know, it's going to be wonderful after. And the students will be so empowered. They actually, after all, they come into our classes expecting to speak. So in order for them to be speaking and fluent, we ourselves have to model that behavior. So I cannot stress more the the um, the fluency factor, the, the teacher's own fluency, that we really have to um, work on our own skills. Uh, I had a lot of students from Vanderbilt observing me in, in Tennessee, and um, I, I, my students were pretty fluent. Uh, I had native French speakers subbing once in a while and saying my twos spoke better than they did after seven years in France, of course, but they didn't stress speaking so much in France. They, they were excellent in the grammar. St- the grammar, yes. So I don't want to knock that, them, but, but he was blown away when he spent some time in my room at how much those students spoke, and I didn't want to have students coming in for student teaching who weren't speaking. And it was it really was surprising to me that after many years and many years after I was in college and dealing with my own fluency that today's students, some of them still are not fluent. And you know, I did have a student teacher who had spent a year and in, interning in, in, in France. He was fabulous. And that's what I think we need to think more of, um, think more about. We have to have our own skills up there so that we can naturally and comfortably you know, speak in the language and immerse the students in it and have fun and be playful with them in the language. It's always fun to throw some funny thing in that you say, like, oh, Jacques, you know, he just ate 59 crepes, you know. And right. You throw these little things in and, they, you, you, know, they know let, you know, they're listening and understanding because they laugh. And that's the key, you know. You always do those little things. But we need our own fluency up there. And we need, um, so I think that, you know, they need to have more to say beyond the text. I think we do need to provide them with more language patterns. Teach out of, teach out of you know, guidebooks. Have the sec- text be secondary. Teach them practical skills, language. Now, the uh, use of technology in the classroom today, we know technology is important and it has wonderful benefits. Uh, but where, where should the teacher be today with the use of technology? There are some people who use it very little. There are others who use it a little bit, some maybe 50% of the time. And then there are some teachers who wanted to use it all the time. So where do you think that we're going to go with this technology? And we talk, you, you talk about working in pairs and uh, this, this, this simulation idea. Um, do you see this? happening with the technology is it, is it going to be easy to do or are we going to lose the um the feel for humanity a little bit here in, in the learning process um what what's your th- th- take on that oh you've hit the nail on the head <laughs> exactly what my thoughts are the the technology is wonderful in terms of um, it's improved so much in terms of presenting language in the classroom 
with the smart board and the ability to visit the cities and see the cities. And, you know, you know, you want to teach bread. So you find a photo of the bread from the city, you know, or else the students will default to Wonder Bread. So you have, there's so much that technology can help us with. It can help individuals with some practice, uh, et cetera. Um, I also, I see in the future, actually, Skyping, as we're doing right now, I can actually see students Skyping individual students. You know, the paired conversations taken globally that pe- teachers set up with other, with classrooms in Madrid, France, Berlin, and Rome, and, and they actually have students one-on-one practicing language and, and going for 10 minutes, 20, you know, 10, 15 minutes, seeing if they can keep it up. And I know some schools more and more, you know, some schools are starting to give all students computers. And I know that's a fault, long shot for, you know, if not very, in the near, very near future for some schools. But there are, are at least language labs where you could go once a week where maybe they could all be on, you know, line Skyping with someone in the real world. But my, my, my comment, though, is also, um, oh, I want to mention gaming because, you know, we do that online. And we, um, I, I heard a TED speech. If any of you are not aware of these speeches, you need to know about TED.com. TED.com, phenomenal speeches by experts in all kinds of fields that you can be privy to, 18-minute speeches, and they are mind-expanding. Um, and one woman was talking about gaming and how the numbers of gamers, you know, are going to multiply um, tenfold in the next five, six years, and that gaming skills, there are skills that students learn gaming, the focus the quick, you know, the, the ability to figure out things that that someday we're going to use game game mentality to solve world problems, um, and I think that, um, and I think that games, you know, that idea of gaming, perhaps we can do that internationally at some point, where students can work on games with students from other cultures, other cities. And so I think that's valuable as well as just chatting, but also, you know, gaming, uh, et cetera. But the bottom line is my huge caution to teachers is that no technology, no software, no gimmick, no bingo game, no exercise, written exercise can ever take the place of two people facing each other and talking seeing facial expressions, hearing the voices, seeing the person who really, really wants to hear that you have a problem and they're showing that with their body language. Nothing will ever replace that, as you said, the humanity. Now, aspect. now, the um, what about the online courses? Let's say that uh, there are schools doing this around the country. We have online courses in Spanish, French, German, et cetera, et cetera, high school, college. Um, what about the online courses? Um, do you see that as being an integral part of the technology process here? I think there's a value to it. Absolutely, there's a value to it. I think that the idea of the instant uh, feedback is very good. I think that, you know, there's simulated conversation with, you know, these pe- the people in the videos, I, you know, the interactive uh, experiences online learning there's there's a, there's a value but at some point you know i think you do have to take it uh, locally and i think teachers need to bring in students from colleges in the area who are who are speaking and heritage speakers in the community and you know that french one group um i remember after a few weeks of french one i i did the, just that i brought someone in and the students prepared some of their questions and they all asked questions of our guest and it was a real life situation and you know what they were all understood and you should have seen them beaming and that is worth a million bucks and it's a simple little thing that teachers might never do and i gave them a huge certificate with a big gold gold star and it said you are a global citizen because it made them you know there are little things like that that go that that go so far um little post-its on desks little emails to students you know you're speaking great uh, you know like i said like you call me a cheerleader 
I believe in it. I believe in the sensitivity involved here and the praise and all of those little successes. That's all part of the motivation because the pride that they got it. You know, that's big for a, a French one student, Spanish one student to speak with a heritage speaker. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to be sure that we have everything you're currently working on for, for Madame Phoebe because you're always working on lots of things. So <laughs> which ones are now? And one day we're going to, we said we're going to work on something. We are, together, go- we are going to do a book, you and I. That would be pura locura no it would be good it would be good we would be it would be quite interesting and we will do that soon and i will be getting in touch with you that's a wonderful idea um but what are you doing now because i know you always got things going you you were talking about your chat boosters and and then uh, then you were doing the uh, virtual book and more in spanish and a lot of spanish more and what what else is going on there well, the main thing, and um, teachers can pre-order online at a $5 discount right now. Um, wow, everybody, everybody attention. That's pretty good. Uh, $5, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it would be twenty four ninety five. dollars Awesome. Uh, okay. $5 less awesome. online right now. And, um, and, if, and I gave a bit of a description. We could go to the French chat boosters and see. And there's a quote there from a teacher that she she has her chat, French chat boosters in her briefcase and she never leaves anywhere without it never goes to class without it um it's also selling very well up in canada um i am working on the download store as i mentioned earlier um that's just barely starting uh i do i started a facebook page where i'm trying to give some fun ideas i'm going to uh, um in the next few months start up a song forum i am a huge proponent of music in the classroom for the main reason that the the lines you know we give students ready-made sentences to say and they love the music and of course with music you have the um free free reign to you know replay them again and again the songs all over again and again many times so um, and by the way, I do have uh, French CDs um, that I wrote with C.C. Couch and Teddy Irwin, who was a professional musician with Petula Clark on the road. He's playing on downtown and here on Broadway. And he does wonderful productions. And C.C. was a uh, singer with a record company many years back. But we've come up with some um, two albums of wonderful songs for French for upper level students. But the fourth and fifth graders like them too. We're getting rave reviews uh-huh. from elementary still. But there's songs about, you know, the, the second one, the blue one, is about living in Paris and go home to mon appartement and, and talk to the concierge and I, you know, tap the code, I type the code in. And it makes it, you know, me, it's like make it real for the students. So the songs are about living in Paris. So um, the songs, I'm going to have song forums where teachers can suggest things and share ideas for songs they use in the classroom. That's a real goal of mine to be a big hub for songs and um, downloads and, um, you know, beefing up the website to make it more fun and uh, to make it more helpful to teachers, to give them um, ideas about being more creative, you know, not just language materials, but just ideas about um, about where to go to learn to think differently. Here's another example of a, of a website that's wonderful. A guy named John Aldrich from Minnesota um, has a website, www unlearning101.com it's full of fascinating approaches and looks at things the way you can see things in different ways and um, I love it Uh, unlearning101.com anyway so uh, lots more to come for the website and after chat boosters I probably have 15 more things I want to do. I wish I could clone myself. Well, but um, you know, available for in-services for teachers or professional development, and uh, I can make a really good offer for teachers. My idea is, I would love systems to charge less and get more involved because in these economic days, it's very difficult. And I right now have a special 29.95. For participants, which is unheard of, and if somebody will, schools will sponsor me, bring me in, set me up with a smart board and my um, the the computer, and um, you know we'll charge twenty nine ninety five. There's no, I just have to get flown there. But other than that, <laughs> I think it's a phenomenal way to get a ton of ideas. Well, we certainly, Sue, we thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, the, you, the listeners can get a, a terrific idea of all the wonderful things Sue does, Sue Fenton, and uh, 
just nonstop energy. Uh, she's an incredibly creative teacher and writer and workshop presenter. And I would encourage all of you to have her come to your school and to buy her products because uh, she's just an incredible, gifted writer and, and presenter and teacher. So, and I think everybody got that out of listening today. I hope that uh, we are very fortunate to have you in the profession, uh, Sue. And I appreciate you being on the show. And um, just keep up all your great work. Um, just really motivating. I was just listening to you, getting motivated as I listened. And uh, congratulations for all you've done uh, to, for the profession. And I know you worked so hard. And uh, we are very uh, fortunate to have you in the profession. And uh, um, please go to the website, you guys out there, uh, and check out uh, madamefifi.com. Uh, Is that uh, madamefifi.com? Yes. And check the website out. And uh, we'll catch up to you, and we're going to do a book, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> we got to do it. I cannot let that amazing endorsement go uncommented. All right. That was one of the sweetest um, uh, endorsements I've ever had. That was so kind of you, generous of you. And the reason I am so blown away by it is that I have been a fan of yours since way back when I was just ordering from Teachers Discovery and not selling my books there and other, other many other places, when I would see your name all over and I would see how you would take things like SpongeBob SquarePants and adapt it. <laughs> you know, you, you are so cool in that you keep up with the trends and the times and the little um, the little buzz phrases and things, and you turn make books out of them that are so motivating for students. So to have you say those comments to me, is really, really very humbling, and I thank well, you so much. It's all true, okay, and it's all true. Listen, thank you so much, and we'll, very we'll see you soon at a conference, I'm sure. So we'll I be in touch, so. okay? And, uh, okay, Tom. Okay, and the listeners, I, the next show is going to be in two weeks. We're going to be live from Barcelona, Spain. And um, I'll probably be at a Starbucks somewhere in Barcelona, and I'll try to uh, drum up some interesting guests for us there, uh, maybe some uh, uh, native uh, uh, Barcelona people there from uh, the Catalan group and see if we can have a little Catalan English and Spanish. Okay, thank you all for being with us today, and uh, we're going to close with our song. Thanks again, and uh, thanks to UCCS Radio and Marge. Okay, we'll see you in dos semanas, eh? Hasta pronto. Y estaremos en Barcelona muy pronto, eh? Bye. Thank you.